0: We could say that all paths lead to enlightenment. And if we look into the fundamental, there really is only one practice. And that's the practice that you are primarily doing. Any practice that we completely engage with leads to the truth. And it's all founded, begins, with awareness of the body. And everyone here is capable of feeling their body. Everyone here is managing to hold the sensations of their body. No one is lacking. No one is inadequate. So whether we're practicing sound, which is heard intimately right here with the body, we're practicing space, the body is form and emptiness, two sides of the same thing. We're practicing move. it's the whole body The body is the anchor here and now. And depending upon what aspect of practice we are engaged in, it's always worth coming back to look at the body. Now the body is an experience. So if we're looking from the outside, then there are things called hands and nose and ears and toes and all those bits. But from the inside, if we're experiencing the body from the inside then all those boundaries blur. And we realize the body has no particular definition other than the mind, the one the mind gives it. Our thoughts give it. And if we are practicing with in the body, using whatever practice you are currently doing, then we begin to touch the place of boundless, inclusive, inseparable space, nothing but the body. Now, this is simply an observation. It's not a goal, it's not a task, it's not something that we should now do, because What we all need to do is stay with the practice. Stay with the practice that you have been doing. You know, as as a modern people, we tend to kind of look at our practice and we want the best or the quickest or we want the most satisfying, we want the most productive, we want the easiest. And so we start doing our, doing a practice and we are busy evaluating it. Am I getting what I want? Am I getting what I want? Am I absorbed like I want to be? Am I having the experience I want to have? And then with that practice, often the discerning mind comes in and says, no, no, not good enough. I think I'll try something else. I think I'll try something else. Maybe if I do that practice, it'll be easier, quicker, more productive. I'll be able to be absorbed. And we try that for about you know, 10 to 20 minutes. And then we say, oh, well, not getting what I want. I think I'll try this other practice. And before we know it, we've bounced from practice to practice to practice. Not absorbing really in any of them. So stay with, return to, have confidence in the practice that is your foundational practice. And if we are absorbed and concentrated on that, <clears throat> all paths lead to oneness, the inclusive nature of mind. It's not the end. Of spiritual practice, but it's a foundation for it. So the Buddha, after his sitting under the Bodhi tree, absorbed, said, "When my, according to the Pali Canon, when my concentrated mind was thus purified, bright, unblemished, and rid of imperfection, would it become malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained in imperturbability?" Now, this is not talking about somebody alien. He's talking about when we are absorbed in our primary practice, when we are absorbed, being willing to kind of bear with it, stay with it, enter into it, then our mind becomes concentrated purified, bright, unblemished. And it is this way that we can touch in our own small way the state of mind of the Buddha. Absorption. Now, Chosen and Kise both mentioned the the Buddha sitting through the night, through the three watches of the night, and his absorption, his understanding, his realizations, which I think we need to be helpful to look at carefully because they always struck me as kind of odd. Um, So if we look at the foundational teaching of Dharma, again, this is not a practice, this is simply an observation that you may make along the way as you practice. But the foundational teaching of Dharma there's the three seals. Impermanence. Anicca, No self, anatta. And the Theravadans say dukkha is the third. And the Mahayana people say nirvana is the third. But I think the best way to translate that third seal is the path. Path away from nirvana, away from dukkha toward nirvana. And then in all the different traditions, they talk about absorptions, the jhanas, and the jhanas are simply the practice that you are currently doing and being absorbed, being interested in it. And the jhanas are not markers, they're not goals, they're not saying, I will meditate until I reach the state of neither perception nor non-perception, the sometimes called the 10th jhana. But simply, they're ways of describing absorption. just Levels of absorption. And of course, if we're really absorbed, we're never, we don't really know. But maybe after the fact, we have a sensation or an understanding. So you're practicing with your primary practice, whatever it is, with some trust, with some uh, equanimity, with some clarity. And when we are absorbed, we don't need the thinking mind. It's like if we're taking a bath, we don't need the thinking mind to cogitate how to take a bath. You know, once you're in the water, the thinking mind is sort of useless about how to take, the ba- take a bath, because you're, you're already there. So with the absorptions, We don't need to evaluate, actually we can't evaluate if we're in the middle of it. And if we're thinking, I am not absorbed enough, we're not absorbed. Now, with absorption, and I think all this, I'm just reiterating what's probably common experience of everyone. But we're not absorption machines. Concentration comes and goes; it waxes and wanes. Absorption, as a as a tool and a technique, has times of strength and times of weaknesses. We have some mornings when the mind is just scattered and wandering around, and we have some times when it's sharp and bright and clear. That's just the way it is. In the uh, In the Pali Canon, the Buddha talks about seven factors that help absorption. Again, these are not practices. This is factors that help you be absorbed in the practice that you are doing. The Bojangas, they're they're called. And as just a a little interesting aside, in the Bojangas are the seven factors of enlightenment. The seven factors which support awakening. And in, um, I think it's the Samyutta Nikaya, um, the Buddha goes to visit somebody who's sick. And he says, you know, follow, use the seven factors of awakening. And the Buddha is actually sick one time, and he, he asks Ananda or some, you know, Sabuti or one of the senior monks to, to please remind him of the seven factors. So in Southeast Asia, The the Bojangas, the seven factors, became a mantra, a healing mantra for some people. It's easier to use a healing mantra than it is to practice them. So, just a little aside. The qualities that aid in the absorption of the practice that you are doing These are not additional practices. These are not other practices. These are qualities that can be applied exactly to the very practice that you started out however many days ago we began, or even your beginning of your spiritual path. The first is mindfulness, paying attention. You can't be absorbed, you can't do a practice without paying attention. So, we have a practice that we are attending to. Now, with mindfulness, we always have to attend to something. And the mind can be wandering around, just sort of randomly looking at everything and thinking, oh, I'm being very mindful. But in terms of practice, in terms of the depths of practice, in terms of all roads lead to the truth, it is mindfulness of practice. Mindfulness of the object of absorption. Mindfulness of the uh, engagement with practice. And the second one, which I think is is I always like and think is the most—they're <clears throat> all equal—but in a way, it's the most juicy of the equal. Is curiosity investigation of states. Now there are different ways of looking at this, but. Being curious about your practice, being interested about the practice, going into the practice. What is this practice? What is it about? Let me let me inquire deeply. And the analogy that, as you've all heard many times, I'm sure, is if you want to know whether water is warm or cold, you put your hand in it. And then you feel from the inside whether it's warm or cold. And if you're curious about it, you feel from the inside. And so the same thing is true with the absorption. You you discover its nature by being absorbed. There's no other way, really. Another factor is just simply adding energy to this process. Another factor is lightness of being. Joy, rapture, they say. Another factor is relaxation, tranquility. Now, we talk about, for example, relax the body, go through the body scan, relax, relax, relax. That's fine. It's a wonderful practice, and other kinds of practices of mindfulness are, are fine. But when it comes to absorption in the path, in the practice that leads to the essence, Relaxation is a—it's not a means to an end, but as we become absorbed and we, we stop fighting so much inside, <clears throat> there is a greater sense of relaxation. If we're spending time saying relax, 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 then we're not absorbed. So again, the primary practice is absorption. Equanimity helps, and of course concentration. So each practice, especially for these, this this foundation of all dharma, foundation of of realization, each practice, when we are immeshed, engaged, absorbed sunk into it has the nature of liberation, truth, dhyana. And so we touch, taste, see, hear the truth that is beyond words, before words, by absorption, and it does not matter what practice we're absorbed in. And one of the ways of absorption is to be absorbed in experience, in the sensation of the body, without thinking about it. Nobody has to think about their hands in order to feel their hands. Maybe a few people do. In that case, you feel your feet. But it's not a matter of great will. I will will myself to feel my own nose. I don't care what happens. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of when we want to feel our nose, we can feel our nose. And we can feel it from the inside. We don't have to grab a hold of it from the outside. The same thing is true with whatever your primary practice is. is. You're engaged with it, turning your mind toward it, curious about it, uh, absorbed in it from the inside. So now, I think it's helpful to look at the Buddha's awakening and the the three watches of the night and what he said as through the three seals, through this absorption. Here's what the, the Buddha said, I think Chosner Kise quoted it. This is from the Pali Canon. When my concentrated mind was thus purified, bright, unblemished, and rid of imperfection, when it had become malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability, I directed, I inclined my mind to the knowledge of the recollection of past lives. I recollected my manifold past lives, that is to say, one birth, two births, three births, four, five, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand, many ages of world contraction, many ages of world expansion, many ages of world contraction and expansion. And I was there so-and-so and and had such a race, such an appearance, I ate such food, I had such experiences of pleasure and pain, I lived for so long, etc., etc., etc. Now, the first Dharma seal is the second dharma seal is anatta. There is, no, there is no self. It's all constructed. And so, the, the Buddha, who is the, the, the articulate espouser of the constructed nature of self, and who is presumably much wiser and more mature than we are, is saying there's only this moment, and it's all constructed. So when he's looking at this past in that way, he's not thinking about oh, there was a discreet person, and I was this aunt named Joe, and then another time I was a kangaroo named Bob, and then I was you know a woman named Sheila, and you know that's not that that that's the, what the the ordinary mind starts thinking. Oh, the hundred thousand lumps. But isn't that isn't. In accord with reality, it's certainly not in accord with the, what the Buddha says. So, if you look at something like that, he's sitting absorbed in this moment, absorbed in the nature of mind, absorbed in the only time there is. And right now, right here, he suddenly realizes it's all made up, it's all constructed. It's all created right here where I sit. 100,000 worlds, expanded worlds, contracting worlds. He says in another place in the Brahmajala Sutta, he says that with diligent effort, with deep absorption, the heart can be touched in such a way that we realize that the nature of the cosmos expanding and contracting. And He says that the only difference is, is he, I, the Buddha, was not attached to it and allowed it to go free, allowed it to be what it was. So when the Buddha says uh, at the end of that statement, I allowed no such pleasant feeling who arise in me to gain power over my mind that's all it means is not attachment power over his mind is, is suddenly he he saw something really interesting he saw the freedom of mind he saw the the boundless nature we can we can construct all kinds of things and he was i presume his mind was liberated from the the tight narrow view of who he thought he was and was had some exhilaration. And exhilaration arises, exists, and disappears. In the second watch of the night, as he says, he says, I saw karma. karma." And karma just means that when we have imagined, seen, created, when something arises in us, the next thing that arises in us is connected to the first. And next thing is connected to the first. There's always some, some connection, some unfolding. It's like a computer screen. You know, the, the pixels light up with one image or one bit of a movie, and the next thing that's on the computer screen is connected to the first one. It's just connected, just connected, just connected. Everything is connected. So... It's connected and because it's connected it's also impermanent, changing, shifting. And then the third of the watches of the night was to again Mahayana and they talk about Nirvana, Theravada and they talk about dukkha. I propose that really it's he saw the the nature of the path, the Eightfold path the, which he then espoused for... 45 more years. This watch of the night, according to the canon, was the foundation for his teaching for 45 years after that. Now, as with all experiences, experience comes and goes, but the the truth of the experience somehow sits in us, becomes a part of us. When we are absorbed in our particular practice and have <clears throat> a modicum of faith in that absorption and have a little bit of trust that both the path is, is, uh, has been walked by other people and that we have some capacity to walk it ourselves and we are absorbed in that, then along the way, different things become apparent to us and they're byproducts, or different states arise, and they're byproducts of absorption. We don't make states happen, just like we don't make thoughts happen. We don't say, "Okay, in 10 minutes I'm going to think about popsicles. I mean, that isn't the way thought works. So as we're absorbed then in accordance with karma, in accordance with the unfolding, ever-changing nature of things, as we're absorbed, then when the timing is right, when it is appropriate, things come to our attention, things come forth, experiences, insights, states, whatever, as byproducts, in accordance with karma, when the timing is right. And it's not up to us. The only thing that's up to us is being absorbed. Now, the Buddha's absorption was probably not like our absorption. In another place in the canon he talks about that he was meditating under a tree and an entire army went by uh, down the road just in front of him and he, he wasn't disturbed by them at all, didn't, didn't, his mind didn't flicker. So you know, elephants and chariots and lots of noise and stomping feet and he said, my mind was not, did not waver. So I think that's a little different level of absorption than most of us (laughs) experience. But we can can taste some of these things at our own level as we continue practicing. Su Yun, Empty Cloud, who is the, the most famous, as far as I know, uh, Chinese um, Buddhist practitioner, Zen Buddhist practitioner, Chan practitioner, in the 19th and 20th century. Empty cloud. He was an extraordinary person. He says his first exposure to Buddhism was during the funeral of his grandmother. And he began being interested in Buddhist sutras and went to He began doing a little pilgrimage. When he was 14 years old, he announced that he wished to renounce the material world in favor of the monastic life. His father did not approve of Buddhism, so had him instructed in Taoism. But he was dissatisfied with Taoism, which he felt could not reach the deeper truths of existence. So one night, when he was young, 14, 16, he ran off, went to a monastery, talked them into shaving his head, ordaining him, and then he spent three years in a cave behind the monastery, hiding out from his father. <laughs> and apparently, he really used that time very productively. It wasn't just hiding out, but he was, he was avoiding being taken back home. And he did a three-year retreat. And later, he was known for, um, Pilgrimages, three steps, one bow. The pilgrimage that Hingshur did in California a few years ago. But uh Su Yun apparently walked for hundreds of miles. Three steps, one bow, three steps, one bow. There's a story of he was at age fifty six, he was going to an Ango, a twelve week meditation retreat and he fell into a river and apparently according to his biography he was in the river for a day and a half a day and a night until some fisherman managed to catch him in his net and he was um, very sick but he sat up and said uh, I'm going to do zazen here's what he says In the purity of my singleness of mind, his absorption, I forgot all about my body. Twenty days later, my illness vanished completely. That's three weeks of absorption. From that moment, with all my thoughts entirely wiped out, my practice took effect throughout the day and night. My steps were as swift as if I were flying in the air. One evening after meditation I opened my eyes and suddenly I saw I was in brightness similar to broad daylight in which I could see everything inside and outside the monastery. But he knew this occurrence was only a mental state and it was not all that rare according to him. And he did not become attached to this, but continued single-mindedly in his absorption in his primary koan who is mindful of the Buddha? Or who is it that chants the Buddha's name? He was on a pilgrimage one time and he was caught in the mountains in a snowstorm. And so he was holed up in a little shelter for a week or two at one point and went into a deep samadhi. He was in samadhi for, according to his biography, 12 days. Twelve days and nights of just sitting there, just sitting there completely absorbed. And as an aside, uh, there's a very interesting article that looked at, there's several cases of famous Chinese monks who had that level of absorption, and they all had uh, both some brilliant insights, but they all, their bodies suffered enormously from that. So it's not, um, while they're in the absorption, Everything was fine, but coming out of it, apparently they were quite, quite um, disturbed. One night, Su Yun was sitting in a session, in a Zendo, and they were serving evening tea like we often do. And one uh, person who was bringing tea was pouring the tea and splashed the hot water on his hand and he dropped his cup, and it shattered. He wrote this poem, A cup fell to the ground with a sound clearly heard. All space was pulverized. The mad mind came to a stop. The mad mind came to a stop. After his awakening, his deep, where he had many experiences, but after this particular awakening, he became a, a a a bodhisattva of a high quality and he practiced for almost sixty years in China. He stayed in China after the revolution, you know, in the revolution in nineteen forty nine when the communists took over, many people, many of the the elite from China ran to Hong Kong or Taiwan. But he stayed because he wanted to to help protect and Nourish the Sangha. And he was badly mistreated. Although after he was he was beaten, he was quite sick, he recovered, and later he saw Chairman Mao. And Chairman Mao said, Is there any problem? He said, No, no problems at all. And he founded the Chinese Buddhist Association, which Still active, um, all these years later, and there's a number of modern teachers who were um, definitely connected to him. So here's what he has to say, and obviously it comes from a depth of experience which none of us can touch, but here's what he has to say. Even though this practice is hard, once you find the entrance to the Way, it becomes easier. What is the easiest way for beginners? There is nothing special other than being able to let go and be absorbed. Let go of what? Let go of all those vexations that arise from ignorance. So let go of the vexations, all the irritations, all the dislikes, all the discomforts, all the, the grumbling. Let go of them and be absorbed in your practice, your, your koan, your breath, whatever your particular practice is. Let go of complaining. Fellow practitioners, once this body of ours stops breathing, it becomes a corpse. The main reason we cannot let go is because we place too much importance on it. And because we place so much importance on it, we give rise to the idea of a self and other, right and wrong, love and hate, gain and loss. But if we can let go, that is, letting go is not a practice. Letting go is not, I'm now going to practice letting go. It's We are absorbed, and we stop attending to the things that we're not absorbed in. We stop attending to all the random thoughts that the mind comes in it's not as though we can do something called I am now doing this thing called letting go. How in the world do you let go anyhow? How do you let go of a thought? How do you let go of something? All we can do is we can drop our particular obsession with a thought or with an idea and return back to the immediate moment and whatever that experience is. And in that way we let go of whatever the mind has dreamed up. And it's usually lodged in the past and future. And we let go of it, not because we're doing an active practice of, now I'm going to exert my muscles and let go, but rather because we turn the attention back to where it belongs. We want to, and then letting go happens. we let go that anywhere, any anytime, whether walking, standing, sitting, or sleeping, whether in motion or in still, whether resting or active, internally and externally, everything will be still with nothing but the object of our absorption. One of his favorite practices, one of his practices he espoused was the practice of Wado. Wado is to take the, the essence of a koan, the essence of a fundamental question like, who am I, and to, or who is it that recites the Buddha's name, as one of his, that he frequently speaks about, and boil it down to the, the what, the who, and then bore into, become absorbed in, into that pinpoint of questioning to be absorbed in. Who is it that's talking? Who is it that is paying attention to sound? Who is it that is feeling the spaciousness of the body? Who is it? And of course, there is no, you know, homunculus in there. But what is it that is doing this practice? That we are absorbed in. And when we're doing that, that's not a new practice. That's not, okay, now i got practice, I'm going to change and do a different practice. It is absorbed in the practice that we're doing with curiosity. So if we're feeling the body and we're, you know, kind of watching the breath, and we are watching the breath, absorbed in watching the breath with curiosity of what's breathing? Where is this, what's breathing me? It's not a new practice. And if we peacefully and interrupted, uninterruptedly continue without a moment of extraneous thought, then, like a long sword extending into the sky, if anything comes in contact with the sharp edge, <clears throat> it will be extinguished, including our doubt our doubt will be extinguished without a trace or a sound. So then why would there be fear of wandering thoughts? What could disturb you? Who would there be to distinguish between movement and stillness? Who would be attached to existence or emptiness? There are fears of fears. Then you've already added a layer of wandering thought. So we have a sensation in the body it's just a sensation. But then we, our mind says, I don't like that. Oh, this means... And then as soon as the mind does that, then we have to start solving the, the conclusion that we came to. We have to now start solving the fear, which we label as fear. We have to start solving the problem that we just created. And we start trying to add not after not after not after not after not, and complication after complication. When Originally it's just a a sensation, you know, feet are cold, chest knots, stomach cramps, back does this, just sensations, impermanent, temporary, always fading through, if there's any one teaching of Buddha Dharma that's worth remembering, everything passes through, nothing sticks, even whether we want it to stick or don't want it to stick, it just passes through. you feel you're pure, that's a, another conclusion. You're already defiled. If you're afraid of falling into emptiness, that's another idea. You're already dwelling in existence. If you want to become a Buddha, then you've already entered the wrong path. So you want to become a Buddha, you want to become awakened, you want to become fully endowed as a bodhisattva with all of the attributes of, of wisdom and compassion. Well, that's not the practice. We can't make the practice saying, I am now going to become, I am now going to shape myself, I am now going to... When we are practicing absorption in deeper and deeper ways, just as the Buddha did, we're continually coming back, continually coming back, continually coming back to that practice. Then, in the unfolding of that absorption, different truths are revealed. The Buddha didn't decide, I'm going to sit down and become a Buddha. He was, a, he was an extraordinary person who sat down and being absorbed, was absorbed in his particular practice. And that led to what we regard as a Buddha. So yuan continues, Therefore, if you know how to practice, then carrying water and gathering firewood are not separate from the wonderful way. Hoeing and planting fields are all practice opportunities. Practicing the way is not limited to sitting cross-legged throughout the day. What is the easy way for advanced practitioners? Don't be proud and never give up. In the midst of seamless practice, in the midst of this subtle, seamless practice, you have to be even subtler. While practicing in a cautious, attentive manner, you have to be more careful. And When time comes, the bottom of the barrel will naturally drop off. The bottom of the barrel is a a, a quote from a a koan or a little story that uh, one person was so absorbed in their practice and they were carrying a bucket of water um, someplace and the it was a wooden a wooden bucket and the bucket kind of fell apart as they were carrying it and in that falling apart they had a deep realization so the the bottom of the lacquer bucket falling out is is a an analogy of our fixed ideas of who we are suddenly falling apart. I have said too much and have interrupted your practice. These words, Su Yun says, are like entangling vines. The more one pulls, the more they tangle together. Whenever words are spoken, genuine meaning is absent. When the ancient worthies receive their students, They used sticks or scolded them. There were not so many words. However, in the present time, we can't compare with the past. Absorption, absorption, absorption. It is healthy to make a vow in the heart or to recognize the vow that is already in the heart, the aspiration of the heart, and to affirm that. And the aspiration of the heart, I think of as a direction. It's not a practice. It's not a doing. It is bringing to mind the direction in which you wish to grow, bringing in mind the qualities that you hope will sprout from the practice of your absorption. A little more than just absorption. So, to be clear in your heart, why am I practicing in the first place? Why why am I doing that as far as I know? Of course, most of it is mystery but to be, to be clear what the aspiration is. And then <clears throat> we're here at a retreat, here at a session. With that aspiration, that direction, we identify our practice and we fuel that practice with the aspiration, with the vow. The Buddha, according to the canon, had an aspiration to realize the truth, free himself from suffering. He sat down under the Bodhi tree and absorbed himself. And with that intention and that absorption, in the morning, After a night of Zazen, he saw the morning star. And the the Zen Buddhist version of that, which was actually written probably in the 700s, said that at that moment when he was awakened, I and all beings are simultaneously awakened. There's no separation. When we're working on all the koans are founded on non-separation, but they're not founded on emptiness. Let me but They're founded on the functioning, the dynamic liveness of that non-separation, the dynamic aliveness of rigpa of true nature of buddha nature of spacious mind and the goal of our practice is not just sitting becoming lumps seeing something that is empty and pure but how does it function so we're here at seshen and seshen is the kind of cultivates the ground the ground of being the ground of truth but then we have to learn to function from that for the benefit of all beings as a bodhisattva, which is not separate from the ground. Anyhow, please have confidence in yourself, in the path. Have faith that even though we don't know whether it's working or not, even though we don't know the outcome, even though it is a mystery, we are walking the path of mystery. And the path of mystery, you know, it sounds very mysterious, but it's just ordinary not knowing. The practice is absorption, 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 without knowing what the next thing will be just being absorbed,